There's about a hundred thousand million galaxies in the universe, so that means an awful lot of stars. And some of them, I'm pretty certain, will have planets where there was life, is life, or maybe will be life. I don't believe we're alone. The Interplanetary Podcast. The exploration of space for the benefit of all mankind. Your hosts, here in London, Matthew Russell and Jamie Franklin. Oh, yeah, baby, baby Jocelyn Burnell. See what I did there, Matt? Baby Bell. Do you remember that cheese? It's still going, isn't it? It's rubbish. (laughs) But it did remind me of uh, the cheese. Yeah, so there we go. Bell Burnell. Yeah, she discovered pulsars. Controversially didn't win the Nobel Prize. Uh, It was her supervisor that that got it but she, apparently she was never that fussed and could understand it fair play well what a discovery that is well it's one of the big ones it's one of the big ones in the world of astronomy back in the 60s and ever since it's been discovery after discovery after discovery the reason why i thought that was quite a good little quote oh yeah uh, it was something that i saw but uh, one of our patrons the wuzzy sent me this on instagram as well and she was a little bit concerned, I think, about uh, about the quote that the Telegraph went with with their uh, with, yes. with their interview with Helen Sharman. Yeah, I saw it on the BBC as well. It, it, it's kind of annoying that it makes people, uh, you know, that kind of quote is a little bit misleading, isn't it? Yeah, it is. So the quote was: "Aliens exist and may already be among us." Sign up for Scientology. So yes, it. I should imagine that I, w- I wonder if uh, if Helen was a little bit annoyed by that. I noticed that uh, one of our yeah. other, other guests, Sarah Crudus, uh, wrote a piece. Um, I can't remember where it was. Guardian, one of those, uh, about how she believes that there's aliens out there and that we shouldn't be so snooty about it. Um, yeah. Which you know, it's it's all conjecture, isn't it? There might be aliens. There might not. I mean, there's. There's True. some good papers about how it's quite likely we, in terms of intelligent life, it's quite likely that this is it, Jamie. That's it. Yeah. Which which gives us a very, 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 very special place in the universe, does it not? It really does. So thanks for that. Um, do you know what? She, uh, this is what Helen Sharman actually said, just to, to stick it yes. into perspective. There are so many billions of stars out there in the universe that there must be all sorts of forms of life. Will they be like you and me, made up of carbon and nitrogen? Maybe not. It's possible. They're right here, right now. We simply can't see them. So wait, did they take this quote from your interview with her? No. <laughs> okay. No, I think they did. There was she, So this she, was a separate interview. Yeah, I think uh, uh, obviously after being on the show, lots of the major outlets wanted well, to interview course, her. Well, of course, they're like, well, if the IP are doing it, we better jump on the bandwagon. <laughs> if the IP think she's important <laughs> enough, we, we should definitely be doing it. Uh, well, big shout out to Justin Young and... Justin Roberts, the double Justin. The double Justins for being ace, our patrons of pure aceness. Pure aceness. And thanks to them and people like them, 2020 is going to be amazing. It is, isn't it? I've got a good feeling about it. So shout out to those two and to all other 66 patrons, including the Wuzzy who sent us that lovely story about Helen Charman. 
Thank you, Azir. If you want to help us with our quest to put Ace back into space, where should they go, Jamie? Well, there's only one website. It's www.interplanetary.org.uk. Awesome. There's a birthday today, Jamie, a really cool birthday. Oh, yeah. An 84th birthday. Uh, 10th of January, so that'll be 1936. Well, the only person of note that day, if I remember correctly, was Robert Woodrow Wilson. Oh, good call. Good shout, Jamie. That is encyclopedic knowledge of almost rain man (laughs) you are rain man shout out to the uh atletico mints podcast the greatest podcast of all time in my opinion jamie you can't presumably count this one that's fair enough well of course not a podcast i listened to this week was um talk nerdy which had uh, neil degrasse tyson on it and I'm not, okay. as you know, I'm not normally a massive fan. I can't. No, I can't, you're not his biggest I, fan. Well, no. I can't get round the sort of uh, perceived ego. But actually, after listening to that extended interview, I found it really inspirational. I actually yeah, genuinely. I really like him. Yeah, I think uh, I, I know what you mean. Sometimes he comes across um, a little bit hammy, but I, I think overall, he's just a. I think his heart's really in the right place. knowledgeable chap, isn't it? It is, isn't it? Yeah, I I found it quite inspirational, actually. I thought that his whole take on you've got to try and be better every day at being a science communicator was very interesting. And, uh, yeah, so I recommend that. Anyone who wants to have a quick listen to a bit of science com with those... There we go. ...Cara Santa Maria. And, uh, yeah, it was good, really good. I liked it. Have a little listen. Yeah. Um, Yes, no, Robert Woodrow Wilson, Jamie... He, he did win the Nobel Prize back in 1978 for his 1964 discovery of the cosmic microwave background radiation. CMB. The CMB, which you can see, of course, on some television screens as the sort of big fuzz that's happening there. Ah, the big fuzz. And, of course, what's famous about it is that uh, they originally thought it was pigeon droppings all on the inside of their horn-like antenna. Right. And uh, it wasn't. And once they cleaned it out, they were thinking, well, what on earth is this noise? And uh, eventually it was found to be this CMB. And and it's a really important corroboration of the Big Bang Theory. Oh, my favourite theory. Uh, well, yeah. But it's <laughs> not a theory, possibly, is it, Matt? It possibly is. And, of course, he did that with his <laughs> uh, Bell's Labs partner, Arno Allen Penzias. Mm. Yes, uh, talking of removing pigeon droppings, Jamie, that's exactly what yeah. I, I've been doing this morning is removing seagull droppings from my drain. And You've uh, had quite the day. I've had quite tell the day. Tell people where you've been. I've been to A&E, Jamie, because what uh, Loretta didn't tell me when she asked me to clean the drain out was that she'd stuck caustic, caustic soda down there earlier. So I'm, yeah. I'm sitting here with chemical burns all over my hands. <laughs> Poor Matt is, is bandaged up, still yeah. Putting his all into the podcast. I mean, what other podcasts do that, huh? Well, I'm just saying, if ever you do DIY jobs around your house, put be, some marigolds on. Be careful. It's one of the major causes of death and accidents. Um, please yes. be careful. Uh, Jamie, we've got an interview coming up as well today. Who we got today? We have got a really unusual one, but probably a bit of a megastar, really. A guy called Matt Sharp. Matt Sharp from Weezer. It was probably my favourite of uh, last year. And it was 
it was so nice, wasn't it? Because we talked for a long time. I was standing outside in the freezing cold, wasn't I? Yeah. Um, it was incredible. And I think that people will see him in a different light from now. Yeah. He doesn't just write songs about space. There's a lot more to this interesting fellow, yeah. as you'll hear. Yeah, so he's got his seminal band, The Rentals, who've just done an album called Q36, out in June 2020. But what they're doing is dropping a tune. And when I say tune, these are real... These are pretty oh, cool, they're aren't bangers. they? They're all yeah. worthy of the Space Playlist, which is why we're uh, interviewing Definitely them, Definitely worthy. And uh, yeah. they drop every two weeks. What was? What, what's your favourite so far, Jamie? <clears throat> Ninth Configuration, Matt, is my favourite. Oh, yeah, because you've seen the film, haven't you? I absolutely love the film. And there's spaceships. That's spaceships. I like, I, like the, um, I like the breaking and breaking and breaking. Oh yeah. There we go, Matt. What 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 um thing in space does that remind you of? Uh well, I guess aero braking. <laughs> yeah. And James Webb. Oh no, don't say no. that. Just kidding. <laughs> Just kidding. But what's really funny, he he wrote a song um a few years ago called Elon, You're Making Me Sad. Oh uh, well, he's making you sad, isn't he? He, he is. He is, which is the title of my next little piece. Elon, you're making me sad. Although, may I start off with saying, and I think I've got this right, sorry if it's a mistake, but congratulations, uh, I think his girlfriend Grimes, uh, the mighty Grimes, uh, uh, who I endorse in my other life, um, uh, congratulations, I think that you've got a little baby in your belly. Yeah, that, Amazing news. It, it, it is, isn't she? She, she posted some fetus superimposed over a slightly yeah. swollen belly in a raunchy shot. Yes, she uh, yeah, has uh, Instagram have taken down the the nipple photo and um, and she's she's covered them up, which is ridiculous. But hey, congratulations both of you. Um, but anyway, back to uh, Elon Musk. You shouldn't be ashamed of the naked body, should you, Jamie? Well, apart from you, maybe, and maybe me now have been disfigured by caustic soda. I know you were once <laughs> you were once the male model of Ilfracoon, but now I have had a promising career in hand modelling. I know all those mm. diamond ring mm. contracts you got. I know, gutting. You'll have to you'll have to use the left hand from now on. <laughs> I will. On <laughs> on. Uh, how, did, how did you know it was my? Isn't, it, isn't that isn't that called the stranger? It. Hang, but what I don't understand, Jamie, is how do you know it was my right hand? That's what you were going to clean bird poo with. Yeah, to, yeah, I can understand that. So seventh of Jan. Let's move on, Jamie, because let's it, move it's on. Making my, it's actually. I want to itch underneath my bandage, but I can't. Oh, don't. Uh, on the 7th of January, Elon Musk launched 60 Starlink satellites on a Falcon 9 Block 5 that had already flown three times. Yes. And do you know what's amazing about that? It had already put up 60 other Starlinks, so it was actually the same booster that stuck up the last lot of Starlinks, which means, as far as I can tell... That booster has launched 122 satellites, which beats the record set by ISRO's PSLV C-37, the Indian uh, launcher, back in 2017, which only which only launched 104 in one go. Jeez, Louise. Jeez. That's mental. That is mental, isn't it? Um, so, yes, 122 satellites on the same booster. So, obviously, it's quite quite cheap for Elon to launch his own satellites using second-hand boosters, uh, which means he's getting ahead of the competition like OneWeb, 
Um, he's becoming one of the biggest satellite operators of all time. By the end of this year, he'll undoubtedly have the largest... Way ahead. ...largest fleet of satellites of any known operator ever. And according to Eric Berger on Ars Technica, when I was reading his piece on this... Legend. Absolute legend. Uh, he, uh, he's If he manages to capture just 3% of global internet market, that would be worth $30 billion in revenue. So you can see why he's trying to do it. Yeah, I'd be interested in that too. But what well, I he's gonna have to, he's gonna have nappies to pay for. So yeah, exactly. So don't blame him. Well, he's got quite a lot. Of, he's had quite a lot of nappies over bit the years. Side, he's got quite bit, a bit of side hustle. Mm. So, uh, but my real question is, after our chat with Moribar last week, which I found very very interesting, Jamie, like super interesting, and and what on earth, for example, must indigenous people looking up at the night sky over the next few weeks? be thinking when they see these things flying over, these streams and streams of satellites as they go over. That's very true, yeah. Um, and I know that... That's that, very true. And I know that, that Elon said he's going to, you know, try harder and harder to make these things less visible. But mm. that Morabar interview really hit the nail on the head where it's like he's not waiting enough time to see what the actual impact will be. Right. And and I, I think it's really interesting, isn't it? That point of you can't just stick them up and just hope for the best. This is like, this is, mate, this is, he, he could, something unforeseen might happen and it might not be the greatest thing. Hopefully not. Hopefully not. Hopefully this will be a really great endeavor. It's like all these kids on their vape pens, Matt. Yeah. We don't know yet what the long-term damage is. No, particularly in America where they've got much stronger vape because of why some don't they quirk just, of, of how don't they, they just eat? Eat an apple and go for a run. Yes, absolutely, Jamie. We should be, or or maybe meditate, or do something much more healthy. That's why the kids hate us, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. Shut up, Grandad. Shut up, Grandad. Shut up, geek. Uh, anyway, I've been looking at Morabar's astrograph, and I've I found it really interesting oh, yeah. that you can. It's really noticeable the Starlinks because they're all bunched together, mm. so you can zoom out and you can see them really easily, and you can really see the impact they're having. It's quite good because oh, yeah. when I looked a second ago, they were just about to fly over England, and uh, so I, I posted uh, a little little picture of them just about cooey cooey. So they they've just flown over, Jamie, as we've been talking um wow. yeah pretty good uh Sick. anyway i want to talk about something very cool go on uh there is a new exoplanet hunter out there and, <gasps> and this this was sent in by patron jelly sock oh jelly sock one of our favorite definitely patrons. One of our favorites. please go and follow her on twitter she's brilliant brill uh yes and she pointed out the newid which rhymes with fluid. The Nuid. Nuid. N-E-I-D. Nuid. Exoplanet Hunter. Jamie, you are going to love this acronym because I think this I think this might be the ultimate one. So Nuid, N-E-I-D, stands for the NN Explore Exoplanet Investigations with Doppler Spectroscopy. And not <laughs> the best thing about the NN Explore is that it's a nested acronym because the NN itself comes from the NASA NSF, the I NASA National Science Foundation Exoplanet Observational Research Partnership. Okay, we have a winner. That's definitely <laughs> the best one. It is Acroageddon. 
Oh, man. So, yes. It's all, it reminds me a bit of My Sharona, the way it starts with NN. Yes, well, I'll tell you what. It's, when, when it's, we're not done with acronyms in this, in this piece because it's just acronym after acronym. So the NUID is a new NASA-funded planet-hunting instrument that's been installed on the WIYN telescope, the W-I-Y-N telescope. Let me guess. Yep. Wisconsin, Indiana, Yale and the National Optical Astronomy Observatory. Otherwise known as the NOAA. <laughs> oh, get in. So, yeah, well, we, 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 we're nested. It's like, the, it's like acronym inception, this is. We don't know how really far is. down we've gone. We're folding in on ourselves. So, yes, the NUID is on Arizona's Kitt Peak, along with lots of other domes that you may find there, because it's such a great <sighs> place. And it's a spectrometer. And, of course, it's going to be using the radial velocity method, as we talked about when we talked about chaos. And uh, oh, if you yes. listen to that episode, you'll know we, we covered quite a lot of these things uh, about why you want to do this. But uh, So, NUID, yes, is trying to detect small terrestrial planets around nearby stars. And it's kind of partnering up with NASA's TESS te- yes. space telescope. As we said last time, this NUID will look at the radial velocity method, which, which, as the planet goes around the star, it pushes and pulls and, mm. and does a little cosmic dance. And, and you can work out what the mass of the planet is, but you've got no idea the size of it. Now, TESS is looking at the star and seeing how much it dims when the planet goes in front of it. And so can and can work out the size of the planet. Now, if you know both, you can know its density and know so much more about it. Like it's so much more interesting when you know the density of the planet, whether it's rocky or gaseous. You can even get down to things like does it have an atmosphere? Is it an exciting exoplanet, in other words? Could it work out how dense I was? Well, well, let's see. Uh, it's, it's, I guess it depends how fast you go back and forth on your train from Brighton to London. But just, yeah. to, give, just to give you some kind of indication about how uh, sensitive these things are, Jupiter um, obviously is pretty massive and it tugs and pulls on the sun. In fact, you could mm. call uh, the solar system a binary system because uh, Jupiter manages to pull the sun far enough away from the center point that it's actually outside of a central point so the the co-orbiting point is outside the surface of the sun so yes. it is actually a binary really the jupiter and the sun that's how big jupiter is and and it it means that the sun is moving back about uh, back and forth at roughly 13 meters a second which is pretty mm. incredible isn't it and even really the is. earth pulls the sun around by around about 10 centimeters a second so that's not bad, that's is it? Nuts. It's not bad. Normally, this type of telescope can only pick up about one meter per second, but NUID is a new generation. Basically, it's a it's really souped up three times the precision of previous instruments. So it's hoped that it's going to start doing some extremely precise radial velocity measurements and will be able to detect planets as small as the Earth that are orbiting around sun-like stars in the habitable zone. That's going to be super exciting. Over the next few years, between TESS and this NUID, they're going to start to be able to look for exoplanets that are Earth-like, that are nearby. So expect 
soon a raft of these brilliant new exoplanet discoveries. Jamie, are you excited by that? I will be waiting with bated breath. Yeah. So that's a pretty cool project. Very, very cool indeed. So, yes, a lot to do with the Jet Propulsion Laboratory. They kind of manage it, and the spectrograph was built by the Pennsylvania State University, etc., etc. So massive uh, effort there. But to add to that, Jamie, this week TESS was in the news because there was an announcement at the 235th meeting of the American Astronomical Society, which was in Honolulu, and Tess Ooh. has uncovered its first Tatooine-style planet. And what do I mean by a oh, Tatooine-style planet? Oh, my goodness. A planet that orbits a binary star system. Not somewhere that's full of scum and villainy. No. <laughs> well, you never okay. know. It might be. But I think that would be more coincidence than something measured by yes. Tess. But it's, yeah, it's circumbinary. It's what's known as a circumbinary planet, a world that orbits two stars. Instead of wow. one. TESS, of course, stands for the Transiting Exoplanet Survey Satellite, which I think is an acceptable acronym, don't you? Nothing wrong with that. <laughs> so this new planet is known as TOI-1338b. Just so you know, the acronym TOI stands for TESS Object of Interest. That was it. Object of Interest. Okay. I'll accept that too. The TESS Object of Interest 1338b the only known exoplanet around the star system TOI-1338. One of the stars is slightly larger than the sun, and the other is a red dwarf, so about 30% the mass of the sun. And they Mm. orbit really close together uh, every 14.6 days. But the planet itself uh, is about 6.9 Earth masses and is taking about 95 days to complete a single orbit around this binary star system. 95 days. How long do you think this orbit will remain stable for? I mean, it's got to be at least 10 million years, isn't it? <laughs> oh, good. That's a very good estimate, Jamie. I think you're bang on. But I tell you what, oh, get it. Well, I tell you what happens is the tilt changes quite a lot. So as as the tilt's changing, they reckon from after November the 2023, the tilt will be so much that that Tess won't be able to actually see it um, transiting the disk of the star system anymore, which is quite amazing, hey. isn't it? And then it will, yeah. and then it will tilt back down, so it will be visible again in eight years' time. So. You've got to take that into consideration when you're doing the transiting method. And apparently... Take that! The lead author, Vaselin Kostov, uh, who is an astronomer from the NASA Goddard Space Flight Center, who was at the conference giving this speech, he said that that actually that orbital tilt is something that you always see, well, very often see with circumbinary planets. Hmm. So, yeah, a planet about the size, somewhere in between Neptune and Saturn orbiting a binary star system oh but there's a don't get me started on neptune there, i just love neptune Matt. Uh, I, we love neptune we all love so neptune. beautiful Be- it? beautiful beautiful neptune. it's got a beautiful it's got a beautiful hue well maybe you can help co-write the planet neptune in my uh love songs of the planet solo album jamie i will be proud Excellent. To contribute. Here's a nice little story about this, Jamie, this discovery. Here we go. There's a person called Wolf 
Wolf. I mean, that's a strong that's a strong first name in the that first place, isn't it? Is great. Wolf Cookier. You're making these names up, aren't I'm you? I'm not. I'm not. Wolf Cookier. What was last week's? You had Professor <laughs> Willie Benz, and now Wolf Cookie. Wolf Cookie. Wolf Cookie. <laughs> <laughs> oh, sorry, Wolf. Uh, Brilliant name. I mean, I love it. I'm just jealous. Wolf Cookier. Wolf Cookier. He was. He's just finished his junior year, uh, school, high school, uh, to work as an intern at NASA. And he was looking through the data that uh, volunteers had flagged up as eclipsing binaries. Uh, and I believe that data had gone via the Zooniverse. Not the mighty Boosh Zooniverse, but the Zooniverse of Chris Lintot fame. Three days into his internship, he spotted this binary system, TOI-1338, and thought it was the, a stellar eclipse, but the timing was all wrong. And he's managed to end up being one of the co-authors on the paper. How cool is that? So as an intern... He's a co-author on a scientific paper that discovered a circumbinary planet. It's ridiculous. Do you, do you want to hear what he said? Go on, then. I was looking through the data for everything the volunteers had flagged on the eclipsing binary, a system where two stars circle around each other and, from our view, eclipse each other's orbit. About three days into my internship, I saw a signal from a system called TOI-1338, at first, I thought it was a stellar eclipse, but the timing was wrong. It turned out to be a planet. What do you think of my New York accent? I like it. So he then passed this on to the other yeah. researchers, and they used a program, a software program called Eleanor. And Eleanor isn't an acronym. It's named after Carl Sagan's character in Contact. Oh, no way. Eleanor Arroway. Of course. Oh, I love that. Ah, and uh, yes, this uh, piece of software bunged out the result. King Carl. Uh, Brilliant. Actually, Jamie, the one thing I forgot to mention about NUID, this, oh, yeah. this uh, new uh, ground-based telescope that's going to partner up with TESS, is that NUID, because it yeah. sits on the land that belongs to the Tohono Udaham nation, Nuid is a pronunciation that evokes a word that roughly translates as to see in the Tohono Udaham language. Oh, well, that's perfect. So not only is it a nested acronym, it does make a word. That's, I love that, Matt. Thank you. Talking of circumbinary planets, do you know how many have been discovered so far? Uh, actually not sure, so I'm going to hazard a guess. Is it... 23? <laughs> so, I tell you what, if that's a guess, Jamie. I'm doing well today, really are really are. You've absolutely nailed it. 23. Oh 23. Do you want, I'll, I'll give you a couple of examples. Okay. 1993 was the first one. Uh-huh. Two and a half times Jupiter's mass, orbiting a pulsar and a white dwarf somewhere in the globular cluster M4. What about the 2011 Kepler 16b? Uh, 200 light years from Earth in Cygnus. Frozen world of rock and gas. About the mass of Saturn. That is pretty cool. So what, what does it orbit? Yeah. What does it orbit? Another white dwarf or something? Uh, it orbits two stars, Matt, that are also circling each other. Um, one is about two-thirds the size of our sun, and the other about the fifth size of our sun. 
orbits of the stars by the planet takes 229 days, while the planet orbits the system's centre of mass every 225 days. So the stars eclipse each other every three weeks or so. That's nice. Well, that is nice. So that actually is quite a similar system to what Tessa's uncovered, isn't it, really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, so Kepler, I think, has, has done the most of those. 12 circumbinary planets in 10 systems. Good old Kepers. Yeah. Wow. Always coming in with the big stats. Yeah, so, but, but the thing that makes TESS slightly different is that it, it is designed to find the, this kind of thing. So I think over the next few years, we, we're going to see lots and lots and lots of these circumbinary planets being discovered. Well, talking of discoveries, shall we uh, listen to our interview? Matt Sharp of the band Here we go. The Rentals. And Weezer. Ecoute. Roll it. The Interplanetary Podcast, putting the ace back into space. We are joined on the podcast by Matt Sharp, who is a legendary musician. Uh, welcome to the podcast. Uh, thank you, guys. Well, thanks for having me. It's great to have you. Now, Matt, we understand that uh, the album Q30, is it Q36? Yes, Q36. Q36. So this has come. So you've released, I believe, is it uh, two singles, and there's another couple on their way. Is that right? Uh, well, yeah. There uh, we've released two, and there's another fourteen on their way. <laughs> so sure, sure. We're releasing. Uh, we I made a um, a record with with Nick Zinner, who is the guitar player for the Yeah Yeah Yeahs, and uh, Ronnie Venucci, who plays drums in the Killers. And uh, Dave Fridman uh, mixed the album uh, for us, uh, and I guess you know him. You would know him from like Flaming Lips and MGMT and that kind of stuff. And we made this album together, the four of us. It's not a concept album in a you know a traditional sort of uh, I don't know Rush twenty one twelve. The guy finds a guitar and hears his story or whatever. You know, uh, it's all the songs aren't tied together that way but they are tied through the the common theme of science fiction and outer space uh some fiction uh, some some non-fiction some fiction uh songs but uh outer space kind of binds all this all the songs together uh it's a double album it's uh, 16 songs we decided instead of releasing it uh in today's world it's like if you're gonna if you it doesn't matter honestly what you release if it's a book or a painting or a movie or a thing you're gonna put it out and at the most you're gonna get you know uh, a week's worth of attention usually like less than a a half a day's attention but maybe it stays in people's minds for two weeks at at the most or something like that and so we decided instead of you know getting two weeks uh focus on the entire album we would just kind of share each song with our, our followers and uh, hopefully some people we haven't met and just uh, be able to focus on that one song at a time, release a new song every two weeks, essentially. Well, for me, you know, you can't, you can't go wrong with a double album that's essentially a space concept album and that you've literally hit pay dirt with me. That's my <laughs> dream concept. So what's the, the title Q36? What's the significance of that? Well, that I should probably keep a secret. Uh, cause I find, I find these things are, uh, I find these things are better 
when uh, other people have their own uh, ideas about what the meanings behind things are. A good example of that is uh, the the first rental song that ever came out was a song called Friends of P, uh, and probably our most successful song. Back in the time that we were talking about before we uh, started, uh, back in uh, 95, 96, we never told anybody the, uh, who, who P was or what P was uh, at that time. And the, we got the most extraordinary uh, letters at the time when people were like sending letters to your like to your mailbox or whatever, and they would just be these wild sort of uh, people that had, had I felt like they really knew what it was all about. You know, some people would think it was like the Psychic Friends Network that was led by Dion Warwick. I don't know if you remember any of that kind of stuff. That's a maybe American thing only. Uh, uh, but uh, there was all sorts of things like that. You know. Well, this is a challenge for our listeners uh, who can be the first to discover the album title. Amazing. Well, we, one thing we do know is, uh, is the single for Forgotten Astronaut, which is about our, uh, our dear Michael Collins, um, which actually w- we're kind of kindred spirits with you in the sense of whenever we do a, a show, a podcast show, we did a, a live one a few weeks ago where we opened up by saying, you know, uh, who knows? Who knows, apart from Buzz and Neil, who went to the moon? And only a couple of people out of about 50 knew. So it's, it's kind of close to our heart. So Yeah, that's interesting. You know, uh, it's that was absolutely my experience with it. And what kind of that was sort of the uh, starting point or the, you know, the inception point of, of, of uh, writing the song in general was uh, that I had been reading about him, his writing. And I kind of, throughout this whole album, went down the rabbit hole of, of different people and definitely spent some time reading about uh, Apollo 8 and his involvement in Apollo 8. And reading about that got me interested in uh, reading about his life from his point of view. And as I was reading it, I was telling friends of mine, oh, I'm reading this extraordinary book uh, about Michael Collins and you know, just across the board, people were like, who, what? <laughs> <You know? laughs> and it was, uh, it was very interesting that uh, many of the folk that I was talking with in their mind, only two people went uh, on that mission at all, you know, that it was just the two of them. And I don't think they really even had a clear, clear picture. Just, oh, they just knew two people went and two people got on the moon. Two people came back. Right. You know? Which is pretty extraordinary for something that, <laughs> was this, uh, you know, like milestone in uh, mankind's achievements and it's just been gone over note by note to death, you know, of every little detail of every little thing of nobody that was uh, had caught the public's imagination like the three of them had 50 years down the line that that uh, people thought, oh, two people went to the moon was, I thought, extraordinary and was sort of the starting point of this uh, of this song. So. But it's a great song, and and we we actually did a feature on Michael Collins, didn't we, Matt? And and actually, the more we dug into his background, the more we became huge fans of his. His story is absolutely incredible. His book is the best of the autobiographies as well. It, it's so well written. He's such a, an eloquent writer as well. Uh, did you feel compelled then to address the balance? Was it was that part of it, or did you just enjoy the, his story and want to tell it? The idea wasn't oh, I, I want to write a song that celebrates uh, him so much more of just thinking about somebody that is in that place. You're in a, 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 a serious situation, but your mind drifts to these like 
<laughs> to these more banal thoughts or or whatever. So that was part of it, you know, thinking about at, at that point in history, right in those moments, thinking about like your your kind of lighter, sillier thoughts against the background of that you're, you know, <laughs> by yourself, uh, you know, on the, you know, on the dark side of the moon and uh, out of contact or, or whatever it might've been. And, you know, as people called him at the time, the loneliest man in the world or whatever it was, which uh, he refutes. Right. But just, it, it was sort of a joy to think about that elements of, even though that they're task oriented and they're doing that stuff, you can't help but your mind firing off little questions or, or, or things that you're just like, I'll put that away, you know? And uh, so it was just sort of funny to think about what those might've been. That's part of is in the song. And then I think another element of it was thinking about which another thing that we all have, which is there are certain things in, in life that you want more than, more than anything else in the world. And that you're, uh, singularly focused on and you think is the path and the meaning to your life. And I think as it was with Michael, as it was for every one of the uh, uh, Apollo and uh, Gemini uh, astronauts and Mercury, you know, that thought of being the first man or one of the first men on the moon was a was a singular focus, you know, and, and singular goal for each one of them. And they were all incredible goal-oriented task masking <laughs> people, right? That were, that would accomplish, you know, set out to do these extraordinary things and accomplish them. And for people like that to want something so uh, focused on such a thing and, and to not, to maybe not achieve that thing, that part interests me uh, quite a bit. You know, I know that there's been times in my life where there's things that I've wanted so bad and, and had thought that, oh, that's the, that's the path to, I don't know, having a, a rich life or, or something like that. Then you don't achieve it. And as the years go on, you look back and you go, God, I'm so glad I didn't get that thing I wanted. And I thought about that with Michael a little bit. I don't know if it's true or not, but I know uh, some people that are not, I wouldn't say close in his circle, but known him, have worked with him and have said that uh, that fact that he uh, sort of faded from the, the public's uh, imagination was definitely by design on his part. You know, it's it's interesting just to think about those sorts of things, the things that we want uh when we're at a, a certain age and we're and we're focused on sometimes you know you find out that not achieving them was the best thing that that could have possibly happened to you you know it's a really interesting theme actually isn't it like also what other um world events were there where people are unsung heroes you know who were just who just happened to not get the credit for something it's quite interesting but could you tell us about the ninth configuration? Ninth configuration. Uh, <laughs> one of the, the the song is based on the book, and and uh, there was a movie made by the same uh, uh, of the same title. And essentially, when you start writing songs, uh, well, for, for this particular uh, album, uh, I decided to start with fifty. Uh, ideas, 50 songs, essentially. It starts out from just kind of stream of consciousness. Uh, uh, for me, I'll be playing over an acoustic guitar, singing, uh, uh, you know, a certain melody over the, uh, some chords. And you're kind of just whatever's coming out of you vocally is <laughs> some, uh, you know, half intelligible, half not intelligible, uh, you know, a little bit of that Paul McCartney singing scrambled eggs and uh, <laughs> that kind of idea, you know, like it's a, there's, 
there might be like some keywords in there that you find find out or you when you go back to listen to your ideas and you listen to them you say well what the hell is that about that's got that this this one's got something where you know and this particular one was all this rambling about uh, an astronaut in an asylum and so it sent me down this uh, other rabbit hole as we were talking about earlier of just trying to research god you know the the idea, just as we were talking about with Michael, but during the whole space race, uh, the the fever pitch that sort of rang up to that, with everything that they were putting these men through and and dogs and monkeys um, and everybody through, I would, the the question sort of came to me of uh, being curious if any of these folks had mental breakdowns from it you know i mean it can't be uh, my, i was thinking it, it can't be that every one of these people were strong enough to take <laughs> these credible stress tests that they were putting everybody through and you know that it's been so well documented all the, the the you know the demanding like sort of physical and mental sort of uh tests that they put uh, all these candidates through that question came to me is like, did anybody really suffer from this? You know, did anybody have a breakdown while, uh, you know, Russian, uh, American, Chinese, or otherwise have a difficult time either, you know, mentally with either the preparation of going into outer space or in returning, you know? And so I was just going down that, just trying to find out, okay, <laughs> you know, did any, did any of these guys have to be locked away? <laughs> so this basically I had, uh, was searching for this, uh, this scenario, seeing if, if any astronauts had sort of had a mental breakdowns either in the, in the preparation or in returning uh, home. Couldn't find anything except for this film. Uh, basically, the synopsis of the film is, it's very, I guess, convoluted, but uh, it's about an, an astronaut who's about to, to uh, on, go on a mission to the moon and has a breakdown in the capsule as they're about to take off, so they abort the mission. And he is... Uh, put into an asylum uh, where uh, during the end of the Vietnam War, where the the Section 8s from uh, American troops were put. And so it's this one astronaut who's very famous in, in this insane asylum. Uh, they send a Marine uh, psychiatrist uh, to, to figure out who, which one of these uh, uh, men are faking their situation to just basically avoid going to war. And uh, the astronaut is this outlier there, and the psychiatrist becomes uh, obsessed with the uh, with the astronaut, uh, and finding out why he's uh, afraid of going to the moon. As the as the story unfolds, you find out that the the psychiatrist is not actually a, a psychiatrist, but he it's his brother that runs the insane asylum, and he is a, a patient. Uh, that was in Vietnam and went went crazy, killed a bunch of children and families. They thought if they put him in this uh, hospital and they let him pretend he was a psychiatrist and if he could, you know, help others, maybe he would be able to help himself. So <laughs> basically, basically, that's the song. Uh, and it's it's and it's somewhat of a you know of a, basically just a telling of the synopsis of the film. You know, it's uh, absolutely fantastic film. We wanted to see at one point if it would uh 
if it would sync up to the entire album, sort of as a, like a Pink Floyd, Dark Side of the Moon, um, yeah. Wizard of Oz kind of uh, mashup, we wanted to see, and it almost works. <laughs> Uh, so maybe at the end of the album, when it's all done, we'll try to see if we can wow. uh, how to do how to do that. Because well, def- it's definitely keep us in the loop on that one. Because I mean, I discovered it just because Exorcist was one of my favorite films, and then I sort of thought, well, I'd better watch what else he's done. So yeah, absolutely incredible. For anyone who hasn't seen it, please go and uh, go and try and find it. We have spoiled the plot somewhat. <laughs> oh right, yeah, that is true. <laughs> you bastards! The, the psychiatrist actually being a patient is really the big reveal. Uh, so whoops! Don't worry, we'll put a spoiler alert at the beginning. <laughs> of this. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Sound wise, when you were putting these uh, singles and songs and tracks together. Was there any specific route that you were going down to give it kind of that, uh, that space feel? Or did you just kind of get in a studio and see what happened? The album was a collaboration with myself and, and Nick Zinner. And he is somebody that I've wanted to work with for, for ages. Uh, and it might be, I'm not exactly sure how long ago it was, but it might be uh, about 10 years ago. Uh, or my God, maybe longer than that now. Um, the Yeah Yeah Yeahs had covered uh, the first song on the first Rentals record. They did like a, a live recording of the song The Love I'm Searching For. And uh, just after it came out, I was at a New Year's party and uh, Nick was there. And I probably had one too many. Uh, but I just went up to him and... and uh, told him how uh, excited I was that they had covered that song. And uh, it's, it's a really sweet, uh, it's a unusual for them. It's just him on an acoustic guitar and her singing. And it is very charming and sweet. And, you know, it's, uh, they probably cut out about like, half the song, she gets about half the words, right. And about half the words are like, you know, whatever and it's and it's ultimately it's more charming and uh like a better version than the original and in many ways you know and i was at a new year's eve party and and i I had had a few and 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 nick happened to be there and i went up to him and told him how uh how sweet i thought that that uh version was uh and how flattering that was that that they would uh have done that told him you know, I would really like it for if there was, you know, I, I have a feeling that we'll, we'll be making a record together someday. And I was probably, like I said, uh, uh, in in one few too many or something at that at that point. And uh, and, you know, I think the next day I probably woke up and was like, oh, like a, a little embarrassed by that because you're thinking that he would probably walk away like, yeah, right. Or we're going to make a record together. Uh, but uh, but he was like, you know, uh, he was. Uh, sweet about it and 10 years later this uh, these songs started coming together and i was trying to figure out who you know how we're gonna this whole record lives in outer space and who who should take us there i saw something uh, locally that nick was doing a lot he was scoring the movie uh, spirited away live uh, I can't, think it was just him on guitar over the movie, Spirited Away. And I had realized I just missed it. And so I wrote to him and said, hey, I just missed this show. I really wish I would have seen it. But there's a, 
uh, a few songs I would like you to hear and just like, uh, I didn't, you know, and get your uh, opinions on it. And when he came over, we, uh, I think I must've played him some ungodly, a number of songs, uh, maybe 20 some songs or something. And just told him what I would tell you is that I was like, if there's, if there's one person that I feel like can, can take uh, a song to outer space, it is, it is him, you know, he is uh, uniquely he, the way he plays guitar. It's certainly he creates a sort of um, cinematic world, you know, that you can uh, that you can live in. And I played him these songs, thinking that you know it was probably unlikely that he would want to do it. And when we were done, he uh, lifted up his uh, <laughs> he lifted up his his pant uh, leg to, sh to show his socks uh, had uh, aliens all over them. Uh, and so that was basically his sign that I'm in, you know. But he said, "Well, send me these two songs right here." And by a few hours later, he sent them back to me uh, with. Uh, put in perfectly into the worlds where they belonged and sort of created these sort of uh, places you can inhabit. You know, I, uh, wow. that's one of the, that's one of the luckier things where I feel very, very fortunate to be able to work with him. Uh, especially, especially because I can just on my own end, probably one of the reasons the record took so long to make was I could just spend time being in his world, you know, Incredible. Wow, what a talent to do it that quickly as well. Nice. The whole record uh, with, with uh, Nick was done where we were apart from each other. He did it in his home studio and I worked from my home studio. Uh, the other folks on the that contributed to the album, it was more of a being in the same room, collaborating uh, situation. But he wanted to do it... Uh, that way and i honestly feel like the record is a much better record because of it because i think i would have tried to have likely tried to have micromanaged uh, where he was where he was going instead of just letting him be free and and create uh and come up with things that that uh that you know that i that i wouldn't have uh that i may have influenced in a negative way by just trying to control it you've actually got the whole album in the can but you're but you're seeping it out yeah one that's song right at a time is that correct that's right and there is a an effort with the space communities of creating uh works of art and creating uh things in in uh in pop culture that support exploring other worlds and uh and are, are sort of, well, in the case of what Michael's thing, kind of bringing light to, to his, uh, to his passions, you know, uh, cool. and one of the thoughts about, uh, forgotten astronaut that, I mean, it's, it's my personal hope if I could have one thing that would come out of it. And it's happened with just a few of my uh, people that I'm close to is that the song encourages people to, you know, read his his works, you know, read, read his, the, the books that he's written and, uh, or just, you know, if, or an easier thing is just to go onto YouTube and, and watch, uh, interviews with Michael, uh, and be able to understand where his passions are now. I think that that's, uh, all of that stuff is very, very positive. So people in that community are, they're, they're looking for those sort of like-minded thoughts, 
you know, Michael's very passionate about going to Mars and exploring, you know, to going deeper into deeper into space, all the positive things that come with that. And he has been, a, I think, a very big critic of what we've done so far, you know, that we could have done uh, quite a bit more. That's very cool. I mean, what we're trying to do on this show is of a similar vein in that we're trying to shine a light on things that might not um, be so much in people's consciousness. So we love that. And uh, thanks very much for doing it. I mean, if people want to if people want to know more about the record, where would you advise them to go? Is this just a case of uh, heading to the rentals website or? Yeah, I mean, there's there's all of the the typical online places. Uh, you can follow the rentals uh, on Twitter or on Instagram, uh, and that's just at the rentals. Uh, or the our website is therentals.com, um, and that will take you to all of our various um, outlets. Uh, you can also follow me on underscore Matt Sharp. Uh, in those places. Uh, and that's how we're releasing it through those, uh, through those avenues. And if you search for the rentals on YouTube, you can find, you know, all sorts of, uh, that we're, we're releasing little behind the scenes videos of making the each song and, uh, little live performances that we're doing during the release. We're doing sort of impromptu to showing up at, uh, uh, unusual places and, and, uh, coming up with ways to, uh, uh, perform each each track as well well if you plan to tour in london let us know and uh we will we will buy you a drink to say thank you <laughs> all right all right i appreciate that and i appreciate you guys having me on i'm uh, i'm excited that it's it's going to be out there we definitely would uh well i i certainly appreciate just like engaging with people that are that are also passionate about the about these subjects and uh it's really cool to be, to be able to yeah. collaborate with you guys on it. Awesome. Thank you. We keep a, uh, a space playlist. So obviously the tracks go, the tracks are going straight on there as well onto our playlist of space songs. Actually, I've got one last question uh, other than your own material. Is there, have you got a, um, a space song and you're not allowed to choose Bowie? Uh, have you got a space song to go on the playlist? Have you got some obscure space track that you'd like to put on there? What's funny is the throughout making the album, the majority of the music that I listened to was I, I never listened to, to any space related music while I was working on the record. Uh, maybe that's a conscious choice just to not be influenced by folks that have have been been in that world before. I'm always a little apprehensive about that. So for, throughout the the making of the album, I just listened to like 50 soul music mostly, you know. Fifties um, and sixties, soul and old uh, country music from the the kind of uh, that same period, which is much more <laughs> grounded and not uh, not thinking about the stars and the in the solar system and everything. Um, yeah. So I was in that world. So I, I actually haven't spent. That's why I'm. I am uh, definitely curious to dive uh, into your playlist because yeah. I because <laughs> I haven't spent any time there at all uh i the the only places that i did were were going down just with each song individual rabbit holes uh and just a little you know learn as much as i could about 
well in the case of ninth configuration about learning about that uh, the book and learning about the movie and how it was filmed and all those things and uh i desperately want to uh interview stacy keach for uh, he's he's still uh kicking so i'd love to interview i would love to interview stacy keach about the making of that film and uh and have uh i'm sure a, a ton of questions for him about that um but it would be like that i would just go so instead of you know like you said uh uh, Bowie's like space odyssey or what or whatever i uh, i just stayed away from all of that stuff uh as much as possible and would just you know read about uh whatever the particular subject of uh yeah. of, of the songs this album uh q36 <clears throat> the one thing that makes it quite a bit different uh from earlier rentals music or anything that i've worked on personally is that in the past uh the majority of the music that that I made was just straight slice of life out of the out of your diary kind of uh, a page torn out of your diary sort of thing where it was just talking about the the literal thing that was happening in your day um, and or you know the relationships you were in or whatever it might be uh, and I started writing uh, for Q36 and as soon as I uh, well not knowing it would be that. But as soon as I decided I'll, I'll write 50 songs and then I'll see if there's a common theme in there somewhere. Uh, and so I started writing and the, the first moment I sat down to, I don't know, sing about whatever was going on in, you know, on in my day. And, you know, oh, I did the interplanetary podcast, da, 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 whatever. And, uh, you know, and, and I was just like, fuck, I am so bored with my own story, you know. Uh, and I had been doing that my whole life singing the, you know, uh, singing directly from out of what the literal thing was that was happening in my life. And I decided that instead of, you know, trying to write 50 songs and figure out what brought them together, I'd write 50 songs, but the one rule would be, they can't be about, uh, you know, a, a, a direct autobiography. Uh, so I started from purely writing about, you know, either made up little, uh, fables and stories and, uh, that, or getting interested in, in other people's lives and other people's work writing from that perspective instead. What a great thing. And, and yeah, you must check out the, uh, the, the playlist cause we've got some of our listeners to add to it. And I think we're over 120 now, are we Matt or something like that? I don't know. <laughs> yeah. yeah it's it's, like... It was your one rule. No yeah. Bowie. No, well, yeah. no, Bo, Bo is on there, but but it's just that obviously yeah, it's, it's yeah, too yeah. obvious a choice. It's it, it, but but it's surprising how many how many how much stuff there there is out there. Uh, uh, Flaming Lips did a really good one. Uh, Christmas on knew, Mars, I, do you know that it, one? It was <laughs> that's a, yeah, it was a they it did was a film, film right? And so the, is the music just yeah? Uh, it's just the soundtrack to the film. Is that what it is? I believe, yeah, yeah, the, yeah, the, you know, so Dave, uh, Fridman mixed the album with me and he was, it was essential to me when I met Nick that Dave be a part of the, the, it'd be the essentially built the album, be built from the three of us to be the sort of the, the three pillars of the album. Uh, and it was only towards the end where Ronnie Venucci came in and, and, uh, helped me a great deal by adding, uh, drums over top of the old loops that I had made. Um, 
but Dave was essential to it. And it was funny. We had, he, uh, my first band was a, a band, the band Weezer. Uh, and Dave worked for a very short period towards the end of our second album. Uh, he worked on, uh, the record Pinkerton. Uh, and he, I think I, from my memory is so vague, but I believe he only did like some of the backing vocals and a few little things towards the end. He would be able to tell you better than I would. Uh, but that was in 1996 or seven. And we have been talking on and off over, you know, whatever, however many years that is, uh, of like, yeah, one day we have to do something together again. Uh, but Dave is is really, really, uh, he's got, uh, he's really strong, you know, kind of in a Phil Spector sense. Like if you're going to do a Phil Spector record, you got to be, you have to be like, you have to be coming from a place of strength. You can't, yeah, you know, and uh, I I think it took me this long in my life to be confident enough to, to stand in a ring with him, you know, and to be able to, he was, somebody that I felt was absolutely essential to the, to making the album. And I told him that if essentially I were, I was going to wait for as long as it took for us to do the album together. So if we had finished the songs and finished it, I would just put it away if he wasn't ready and I would wait till the day that he was ready to do it. So we were talking about it and he said, what is it? I said, well, I'm making a, a record with Nick Zinner about outer space and he just wrote back in you know (laughs) 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 so it's i think we had him at outer space uh and uh like you said he had done that he if if the the flaming lips record would have been done with him uh the and uh all their records essentially uh except for maybe one or two amazing the very last thing i wanted to say was that one of uh while uh what is the computer program that uh that everybody shares in where it uh, searches for signs of life in outer space do you know what i'm speaking about uh, yeah yeah the seti the seti program yeah so he has that running through his mixing board the entire time so as soon as wow. you pause to work the computer switches over to that and you know it's uh and I thought when I when I arrived that he had almost like set that up because this is you know because this of, of, of the theme of the record and he was and, well, but next, it, well Matt next time you see him tell him that Jamie from the Interplanetary Podcast Money is on Europa. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's where the smart that. money is at. Uh, yeah, that put the smart money on Europa. Exactly. Yeah. Awesome, beautiful. I'm sure. I, I, I'm. Uh, I'll let him know. I'm. I'm. He'll be. He'll be right in there on, on it. He's. Uh, thanks you know. very. Thanks very much That's for coming right. on. I, obviously, space. Space music. It absolutely floats our boat. It, it hits. It hits all the right spots. And uh, um, I've heard spaceships, and I've heard uh, forgotten astronaut. Those are the two I've heard, and I absolutely love those. Oh, tracks. I, they're, they're brilliant. I can't wait. I can't wait yeah. for you to hear the configuration. It's uh, it's a, a definitely a left turn from those two. Um, yeah. uh, so I'm excited to share all of that with you. And maybe uh, towards the end of the uh, releases, we can come back on again. Because like I said, there will be this is taking us all the way to June. There's layers and layers of uh, synthesizers that sort of 
uh, are interwoven with uh, Nick's guitars and they're supposed to uh, be done in, a, in such a way where you can't tell exactly what is a guitar and what is a synth and what is, you know, yeah, and that kind of thing. I, I, re- I, I have to say, I really like the, the kind of, I couldn't quite place the era. It's kind of got this timeless electronica sound to it. It's really, really cool. Really cool. Cool. I appreciate that. It's very nice of you to say. Yeah. Awesome. Well, let's keep in touch. And like I say, you know, um, if you need any anything else from us, let us know. But we'd love to get you back on. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, for all your listeners, read Flying to the Moon and, uh, and uh, Carrying the Fire. And uh, and any other thing that you see with uh, with Michael's name on it, I definitely encourage encourage that. Uh, and the um, there is a book on uh, Apollo Eight that's also tremendous. If uh, to me the the Apollo Eight book was the one that got to the the thing that that we all sort of uh, want to get to, which is is having a you know there's so much. When these guys talk about their own experiences, when you talk, uh, when you uh, look up the interviews with the with the astronauts that did these extraordinary things, there's so much of it is based in the technical. Yeah. Uh, but the stuff that fascinates me uh, the most is 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 the more the more personal stories, you know. Uh, and so I really recommend uh, uh, it's by Jeffrey. Uh, uh, with a K, his last name. Uh, look that up. Jeffrey K, Apollo 8 book. Uh, it's unbelievable when you see what these people are made of, not just the men, but their wives, their family, their, their, their children, like how how extraordinary it is, the, the, the situations they were in and how they dealt with them. And uh, it's, it's well worth uh, reading. And it, that book in particular puts a real personal touch, as, as do Michael's, you know where you get a, a more sense of the, not just, the, oh, this is a three-stage rocket and it took this and right. all yeah. the technical. Yeah. The, you know, because it is, all that stuff is wonderful and is uh, fascinating, but it's really this, the stories of their families and their and and losing their friends as uh, as Michael has lost so many friends of being a test pilot and, and uh, all of that that is extraordinary that, you know, that they're able to be wired in such a way that they can lose people that are close to them, like Apollo one, and then proceed to take on the same challenges. You know, it's like, (laughs) how, how did, how does anybody do that is, uh, is beyond me, you know? Yeah. It's insane. And thanks for the tip. Absolutely. All right, fellas. Thanks very much. Thanks so much. I appreciate it. The interplanetary podcast is Alive! I, I, I really enjoyed that interview. It was fraught. Wasn't that just great? It was fraught with technical difficulties. You were standing out in the cold somewhere in Brighton. I was, I was. somewhere in Devon, living it up with, yeah. with, with a perfectly formed right hand. Matt was in his studio, but we did have a few signaling. But, but it didn't put us off, did it? We kept coming we back. kept coming back. And I'm glad we did because that... That was great. It was. We need to get him back again, I think. It was great. To finish this podcast out, I'm just oh, yeah. I'm going to do a quick shout out to the Skylon patrons. You ready? Going to strap oh, yourself in? Oh, it's about in? time. Hit me. Thank you so much to the Skylon patrons. 
Dr. Bob Hodges. Love you, Dr. John Bob. Bennock. Love you, Julio John. Julio Prayer. Love you, Julio. Carell Sim. Love you, Carol. Darren Fuchs. Love you, Darren. Sven Nauhaus. Oh, Sven. Love you. Patrick Haywood. Love you, Patrick. Stas Shusha. Love you, Stas. Mark Schwinn. Love you, Mark. Rob Annabel. Rob, I'm in love with you. Christopher Andreasen. Chris. Chris, Chris. It's not me, it's you. I love you. Auden Vala. I love you. Sounds like Odin Valhalla. I wonder if it's related. Oh Anthony Peggs. Anthony, I'm in love with you. Matt Gilliland. I've always loved Matt. So, what a, a fantastic bunch. Who wants to join Join them! them. <laughs> and the rest of the legends who email and Instagram and tweet us. I mean, what else are you going to do in 2020? You know? Keep going. Keep going, everyone. We All love right. it. Well, listen, have a good weekend, everybody. Make sure you look at the moon, wherever you are. You know, just, just dream of some boots on there very soon. Dream of boots. Dream, 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 dream of boots. Dream of boots. <laughs> that remix will be available as a ringtone on next week's show. Bye-bye, Spodcats. See you soon, bye. Bye.